Alternative payment systems and the use of big data for real-time threat analysis in the wake of a cyber attack are two of the top trends fraud and security experts at consultancy Booz Allen Hamilton are predicting for 2015. While industry experts have for years anticipated both of these trends, Booz Allen's Bill Stewart says we finally reached the tipping point with a number of factors that played out in 2014, laying the groundwork for 2015 to be one of our greatest years of change and adoption. Here, Stewart, Senior Vice President at Booz Allen, describes what we can expect to see more of in 2015 and why these trends are expected to impact banking institutions the world over. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So Bill, Booz Allen just released its list of the top 10 financial services cybersecurity trends for 2015. I've noted in the introduction what stood out to me, alternative payment systems and big data, but those are only two of the trends that Booz Allen highlighted. What are among the list of the top 10 trends that were most striking to you? Thank you, Tracy. As you said, we had lots of ideas come out of our analysis of the market that we do uh, every year at this time. And, and the things that were striking to me were the whole notion of third-party risk and fusion center. And both of those things are related to the issues you brought up. Regarding fusion centers, there's a, a huge push now within financial services to, uh, to take on some of the tougher aspects of cybersecurity. Many of our clients are moving toward a paradigm where because they can't keep adversaries out of their network, because they can't totally control what the uh, bad actors are going to do, they're setting up intelligence centers that take advantage of analytics and big data to understand what the adversaries are doing and to track them outside their network and to find them inside their network. And, and by definition, that's a very intensive uh, people problem that requires analytics to understand uh, what the data is telling you. And it requires analysts that understand and can track what adversaries are doing. And so the whole idea of a fusion center is to take many of these functions that are springing up in financial services institutions in, in multiple stovepipes. You've got cyber. You've got fraud. You've got IT operations. You've got physical security. All these things require to take advantage of, of big data type systems. And they require analysts and analytical techniques that are very similar. So if you can merge these together into one center, you can reduce your cost by taking advantage of that expertise in, in one place. And also, you can get better intelligence about what's happening in your institution. And you can connect dots you connect that are much more difficult to connect otherwise. So we see that as a major push. And we see many of the big financial institutions are heading down that path. Thornier issues that they have to deal with in cybersecurity and one of the things that these fusion centers are being uh, targeted toward is the whole third-party risk issue. We've seen many of the breaches that happened over this last year involve the third party. You can see the third party that was connected somehow to an institution's network. In case of retail, we saw that. Or third parties that are relying on the financial system in some way. And these third parties bring their risk and their the threats to their institutions become part of what the, the financial institutions have to deal with. And so you really have to look at the broader ecosystem that includes third parties. And you have to look at the risk across the whole infrastructure. In order to do that, you need a much better view of to data that's involved in, in understanding what's happening out there in the threat space and also the data that, that tells you what's happening inside your institution. And so th this third-party risk issue is one that's very difficult to solve. I think the good news from a cybersecurity standpoint is we're starting to recognize it as a real issue, and we're starting to look at the entirety of the system and, and all of the things that go into creating an, an overall risk posture and so that we can develop our mitigation strategies and our analytical techniques in ways that we can understand 
more broadly what's going on and, and react to it. Bill, your points about third-party risks are obviously valid, but these really aren't new areas of concern, are they? I mean, we've been talking about third-party risks for a long time in the industry. Is it just that banking institutions are addressing these third-party risks in a different way through the analysis and these fusion centers? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You're right. Third-party risk has been a risk agenda item for, for many years. However, what we're starting to see are the real issues involved with uh, the cybersecurity aspects of third-party risk and the increased exposure that some of these third parties create. And, and the fact that, you know, in the past, we've tried to mitigate this through checklists, through some offline procedures where we're, we audit uh, third parties and, and try to get them to up their security posture. And what we're finding is, while that's necessary, it's not sufficient. And what it's not doing is creating a situation where we're looking at the entire system as it exists today and as we are connected to these third parties or as these third parties are participating in our systems. So the shift is you have to include those third parties in your real-time operational security defenses, and that's a big change. And it's not an easy thing to do, but the alternative is what we're doing today, and we're seeing that that's not working, that the third parties are creating significant exposure. So we have to shift to something that accounts for the exposure that third parties introduce into the system and, and allows us to mitigate that through our analytical cybersecurity techniques. Many firms are heading down the path of applying them inside the institution. Now they have to include that profile and that attack surface, if you will, as part of what they look at for their overall security defenses. That is a, a definite shift, and it is a much harder problem. And, and what you're seeing in response is we're including these third parties into the cybersecurity discussion. You're also starting to see some of the bigger institutions really start to try to reduce the number of third parties, because once you, you realize that that's an attack surface that you have to defend and have to worry about, one of the ways you can mitigate that is to reduce the number of uh, third parties you're dealing with. And when it comes to involving some of these third parties, does this mean perhaps bringing in more big data, more data analytics from these third parties? Is it merging not only the data that the banking institution, for instance, would have, but also the data that the third party has? Yeah, that's a part of it. And sometimes that data that the third party creates themselves, and sometimes it's data that reflects what the threats and what the vulnerabilities are associated with with the third party, it's not necessarily owned by the third party, but when you start to look outside your institution for what the threat actors are doing, thinking, attempting to do to others and other like institutions, you need to include that information, that data in your broader database, and, and you need to then use that as part of your overall threat assessment. Uh, the adversaries are getting much more sophisticated, but in a way, they are sharing a lot more information, and that's how they're getting there. So that interchange creates a signature that is valuable. You can understand what threat actors are likely to do, take that intelligence, make it actionable. And that's a big aspect of the fact that Fusion Center, what folks are trying to achieve with these fusion centers, they're trying to not just get information, but they're really, no kidding, trying to get intelligence that they can then take action on ahead of the game to defend themselves about and around threats that are very likely to occur. And Bill, these are basically trends that you're seeing across the board. So I know we've talked quite a bit about the catalyst for these fusion centers and the sharing of, of more information across sectors is really something that's impacted the U.S. quite a bit. 
but the trends that you're seeing are, are happening across the world. And so are you seeing the same motivation for banking institutions in Europe, for instance, or even in developing markets to approach data security in the same way? Yeah, there's no question about it. And that is part of the advantage and, and the disadvantage, you will, of our highly connected world. We've gotten so much value out of the Internet and so much value out of the commerce that we can conduct at, at light speed across geographic boundaries and that helped us economically in numerous ways. But it's also created a lot of exposure and it's also creating a level setting around that exposure. So you know, an adversary on one side of the world can, can understand what your vulnerabilities are and understand and learn tech techniques from, from others in a geographically independent way. So we're seeing a lot of that. And we're also seeing a lot more of the uh, political aspect of hacktivism is alive and well in many parts of the world and where the politics are such that people want to make a point. They want to work against some political force that they don't have the economic will. However, with uh, a very low cost type effort, some smart people that can understand what's happening and understand how to exploit institutions, they can do a lot of damage and they can do a lot of they can further their political aims and, and get their messages out. And in places where it wasn't as prevalent a couple of years ago, we're seeing a lot more of that today. And, and that's just another indication of this kind of cross-leveling of the threat and the threat capabilities you know, across the whole entirety of the world. And as these emerging nations stand up capabilities, and sometimes leapfrog because they can, because they're new to the game, so we're definitely seeing a, a bit of an arms race in that regard. The threats are getting better if the IT and the economic means shift to automated type situations where we can, we can gain more economic benefit, but we also create more exposure. In talking about some of these new technologies or perhaps the leapfrogging of technologies, let's talk a little bit about the alternative payment systems that are noted in Booz Allen's report. What has happened or changed to make 2015 the year when we expect to see some of these things come to fruition, whether it's the advent of mobile payments, or perhaps even some of the cryptocurrencies that we've been talking quite a bit about, such as Bitcoin and currency? I think what's changed is a couple of things. I think the first and foremost is the technology is now available to do some things that have been talked about for many years. You know, We've talked about alternative payment systems where we can pay with our iPhone or pay with our mobile device, and the electronic currencies have been gaining more traction. I think one of the big shifts is we're starting to see that technology is becoming much more usable and much more realistic. And you have big players that are starting to make deals with the vendors and, and deals with the merchants in ways that help us understand that we could actually see adoption of this stuff. And it, it looks very real that something that's going to happen. So you, you've got some economic drivers We've got big players that are investing, that see the opportunity for the technology. I think the third thing is acceptance at the user level is much greater than it used to be. I think several years ago, we struggled to get people to, to think that they could do these kinds of things and believe and, and trust it. And this society, in the U.S. for sure, but it really across the world, we've become much more comfortable with mobile devices and this idea of, paying from a mobile device is something that people seem ready to trust and seem ready to do. So you've got all those forces in play and a huge potential economic benefit to those systems that can win and, and become dominant. So I think there's a lot of forces that are, are driving toward that. From a cybersecurity standpoint, what this does is it introduces any new system, introduces a whole new set of vulnerabilities and a whole new 
attack surface that adversaries can take advantage of. And typically, when something's new, it, it gets filled with more holes. So, Bill, you've touched on in the discussion about the fusion centers how banking institutions are actually getting involved, and if they're not already involved with implementing these types of information sharing environments, they're looking ahead to do that. That's something that they're planning on. But how should banking institutions be preparing for some of the other trends that are noted in the report? Some of the other trends that, that we're seeing, the whole uh, trend around cybercrime and the fact that for years what we've tried to do is really work through things in, in a stovepipe way, using a lot of people to help us understand what the, what the criminals are doing and, and try to comply with a lot of the regulations that the government has levied to try and control cybercrime and money laundering and, and these types of things. One of the trends we see is a shift toward the introduction of analytics and big data toward solving that problem. So I think financial institutions, to prepare for that, can take advantage of their know-how in these areas. At least the, the big financial institutions have analytics expertise that they've focused on other problems. They can take a lot of that expertise and a lot of that know-how and help themselves to work through the resolution of those issues and to try to build systems that are much more effective at understanding what the criminal behavior is and much more effective at heading it off. And at the end of the day, if, if you get it right, it's going to drive a lot of cost out of their business as well. So investigating those things are, are a huge way they can help themselves. I think another big shift we see is, is the movement toward, you know, we for years in the cybersecurity area, we tried to defend the perimeter. And, and we all recognize it's kind of old news now that you can't. But the shift toward data security and defending the data, there's kind of a, a twofer there, if you will, in terms of benefit. There's the fact that we want to secure and protect the data at the, at the data element level. In order to do that, you need to build security systems that help you understand the data, manage the data. You have consistent strategies on how you label it and how you protect it. Those very same things can help you from a big data management standpoint as well. It can help you to get more value out of the data through big data and analytical techniques by being more consistent with how you manage the data, how you control the data, and also how you protect the data. Looking at that and looking at holistic strategies there that look at, at both the cybersecurity and the data management aspects of your information and your data systems um, is, a, is a place where financial institutions can realize some very significant benefit if they look at things holistically. Bill, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. No problem. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about our top ten. Again, we've just heard from Bill Stewart of Booz Allen Hamilton. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.